Hello and welcome to Dan's Labyrinth, a podcast where we talk about your favorite indie movies and genre television. My name's Joseph, and here's my co-host, Lydia. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Hola, como estas? Estaba bien. So, second time around, let's go. Yep. Keep the energy up. We'll start there. Let's keep the energy up at nine o'clock at night. So, we watched The Empty Man, a weird horror movie. But we'll get to that weird horror movie Uh, at the end. We're still digesting that craziness. Yeah. How's it been going? What's been going on? Oh, you know, it's been good. I don't remember if I talked about this on the podcast or not, but if I didn't, uh, I was promoted. And if I did. Oh, yes. Tough shit. I'm going to talk about it because I'm fucking excited. I was promoted. Nice. Yeah. I'm a marketing manager now. That's so awesome. Now, I'm like for a single person income, almost middle class now in Southern Ontario. <laughs> I don't even think that's accurate. I think you have to make like six figures to be middle class now in Ontario. Uh, I don't know. No, but I mean like, yeah, like I'm sure you're making a decent amount of money. <laughs> I'm comfortable. Yeah. That's what I like to say. I'm comfortable. <laughs> no, that's so awesome. Yeah. I was super glad yeah. to hear it when it happened. It's been a little while now, but. Still yeah. worthy of attention. It's exciting. I feel like my hard work has paid off, which is nice. <laughs> Unlike the podcast. I don't want to shit all over our podcast. It's honestly, I feel like the reason we haven't achieved success with the podcast is just me like continuously shitting over the most popular directors. It's like every episode, <laughs> I'm just shitting yeah. on everyone's favorites <sighs> so aggressively. Yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's jump into it. You know, yeah, Let's just dive right in. You know, let's dig in. I, so a lot of the stuff I've watched is it's been fun. I've been watching with other people. And so <laughs> not you. We watched Loki together. Fuck you. Oh, that's true. But um, we got to see each other in person. Yeah. I finished a show called Invincible with uh, mm-hmm. a friend of mine. And uh, I mean, it's my friend Ryan. I don't, I don't He doesn't care. He's not going to listen to the show. <laughs> do, do any of our friends listen to this show? No. Who is listening to this? Because people are. Please. Yeah. Talk to me on Twitter. I just want to know who you are. <laughs> so, from what I understand, it is an independent comic, not Marvel or DC, about superheroes, made into a American animated show. And it was really effing good. I love Steven Yoon. Yeah. So, Steven Yoon plays the main character. Well, Voice acts the main character. Mm-hmm. There's also Sandra O oh and J.K. Simmons in it. J.K. Simmons turned out in a lot of stuff we talked about. J.K. Simmons, A, he's one of those character actors that's just like always consistently good. And also he's like one of those unattractive older men that are still somehow kind of really hot in an inappropriate way because he's so much older than you. Or maybe that's just like a real <laughs> deep yeah. view into my psyche. I'm not sure. So it stars uh, Mark Grayson. Uh, superhero who is named Invincible 
And in the first episode, you get a vibe of his, the difficulty. Seems kind of braggy. Of being, yeah. Of the difficulty <laughs> of being the son of Omni-Man, who is what's called Superman of this world. Mm-hmm. He is the superhero. But he doesn't like to join the other teams. So he's not actually part of the main Justice League called the Guardians of the Globe in the world, who is made up of their own team of superheroes, who is led by the Immortal and lots and lots of other ones, the Green Ghost and the Martian and all, you know, the whole team. So hard to be gifted with like magical fucking powers and like be able to like take a fucking bullet. Yeah. And then, well, then he has a lot of pressure on him because he is the son of Omni-Man, who no one knows who he is though. Like obviously superheroes are like hidden identity here. And he feels so much pressure and has not gone his powers yet. So that's where the show begins. It is so hard to say anything else about the show without spoiling shit because even the whole vibe, even where it all goes is all spoilers. Like so much is revealed within that first episode and Mm. change things. But suffice to say, it's a very dark, gritty and realistic look at superheroes and what could be of them. Here's the, okay. Firstly, I don't really like superhero stuff. I end up being roped into it all the time, but you know, it is what it is. This is what people talk about. So here it is. I do like this one. This one has a cool twist. My problem with it, though, is that the exact twist or the exact way it goes, once you get an idea of what it is, I think it's fairly clear, like, the rest of the... Or not the rest of the story, but most of the story. And so I think it's really done well, but it's hard to measure the, like, shock value versus the, like, and twists and things versus the, like, things... I think what actually makes it good is that the characters and animations and voice acting, you actually really begin to care about these characters. I actually think like even, you know, Ryan actually said this to me. He's like, the facial expressions in this are like subtle and effective. Like you understand these characters' emotions. I think that's the actual true power of the show, not just the fact that it has some cool twists and ideas. Um, Because I I honestly think a lot of the ideas and things have been done before, if you know some comic book history and things like this. That being said, you know, where it sort of goes is there's this sort of teen squad of superheroes. And so you see them not be nearly as good with their powers as the Guardians of the Globe. So you see the Guardians of the Globe, like, doing things. It's tough, but they, like, get it done. And then you have the team squad with Invincible sort of joining the team and learning the ropes and having a superhero girlfriend versus a regular girlfriend and like trying to figure out his like love triangle and so it becomes a sort of teenage drama show about that kind of stuff but then also with this parental problems and in a way the parental problems of having a league of superheroes like way more powerful than you uh like above you and that difficulty of feeling inadequate in comparison um especially of course to his father so if that interests you if that if those dynamics and those um feelings interest you and you can deal with a little bit of teen drama on the side i really think it's a cool show that's worth watching i love my teen drama yeah (laughs) you know me i love the melodrama i don't know i mean i'm i'm curious about it and i probably will watch it it's just like Everyone I know has been talking about how great it is. Really? And I know that that's oh. a stupid reason not to watch something. But when it's constant, have you watched this yet? Have you watched this yet? You would really <laughs> love it. Like, you love all these other things. You would definitely like, you should definitely watch it. And then they're just staring at you, like, tell me what you think of it. Tell me what you th- did you like it? 
I'm like, now I don't want to fucking watch it. I now no there's one pressure I, on me to enjoy it. It's a funny thing because so many of my friends love superhero stuff. No one I know, except for Ryan and I, has watched it. So I think that's kind of interesting. Getting hounded about it. <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm not sure if you would like it in particular, but it. I mean, it is good. The hell does that mean? I just, <laughs> I like, I don't know your. I know you watch superhero stuff and whatnot, but I don't know how much like this particular storyline or those things is like interesting to you. It it just doesn't give me a vibe of stuff that I that you love that I could compare it to and be like, oh yeah, since you love this, you would definitely love Invincible. I liked the boys, even though I did shit on it the last time we hung out. Yeah, it is pretty similar to the boys. <laughs> okay. I've watched so many things in all of its TV shows. So just because we were on the on the teen drama thing, natural segue, mm-hmm. I devoured the new Amazon original Panic, mm-hmm. um, which I gave you a rundown on the side, but I'll shoot a little synopsis in here. Essentially, small town Texas, middle of nowhere, people who stay in the town don't go anywhere. It's hard for them to leave because there's a lot of like poverty. Every teen in the graduating class has an opportunity to participate in a game after graduation called Panic. Uh-huh. And Panic is like this super mysterious game. No one knows who started it and no one knows who the judges are. They're always anonymous and they're picked by the judges from the year before. Um, and the game is a series of challenges. Uh-huh. So you participate. You complete these challenges and they're always like daredevil-y, like fear factor type shit. Yeah. It's a very like Hunger Games and, oh shoot, I'm forgetting the one. We, we just watched it and talked about it, but I lost it, unfortunately. I don't know, Maze Runner? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so series of daredevil-y challenges. There can be only one singular winner. And if you win, you win a pot of money. Throughout their entire high school career, they donate a dollar a day at the end of that year or at the end of graduation. That's your pot. Okay. So for this particular graduating class, it's 50 grand that one person has the opportunity to take home. And that's it. It's just like the dynamic of these different kids, why they want to win the money, what they're going to use it for. And then the mystery behind all these challenges, who's behind them. Can these things really kill you? Well, that yeah, that's the thing. It's like for fifty thousand dollars. Like if people knew that the danger was like really real, like how much would they really risk? Like, but it's it's a pretty like poor town, right? Like it's yeah, a big chunk of the kids are not privileged. A lot of them, you know, won't get scholarships. Don't have the money to go to college or to leave the town, and will end up being lifers there. And have the same kind of not great lives that their parents have. But yeah, the other one I was going to say was The Purge. And the reason I thought it was like recent because we just talked about. Uh, it's not really person. like The Purge. <laughs> well, poverty and that like the elimination I of mean, people due to poverty. I guess that's. Kind of like the conversation around like socioeconomics, I guess. But the actual like plot device that it's structured around, not so much. But yeah, I mean, it's. I'm not going to say you should go in and watch it and expect it to be like this amazing mystery thriller because it's not that good. Um, It's very much a teen drama. Mm. I 
would probably liken it to something like the early seasons of Pretty Little Liars because I do think once you get past like season two, it gets very like Pretty Little Liars gets real aggravating, and it's nowhere near as bad as Riverdale. <laughs> but overall, it's it's not great. Like the main character, like all of these teen dramas, is the most boring character. Yeah, but I did find her more interesting than like say the main character in Shadow and Bone. Um, who I found very bland. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and you've got classic like teen drama, like, you know, her and her best friend, but also there's the bad boy and there's the love triangle, like exactly like Shadow and Bone. Yeah. Um, but it's super effective. Like the these challenges and the whole mystery, um, like thriller aspect of what's going on behind who's running it. How is it being manipulated? Um, who's causing like harm to these kids, whatever, is super effective for me. Like I, I found myself during these episodes genuinely feeling anxious for these characters. Like it it made me feel edgy, even though it is a stupid teen drama. So for that reason, I I think it's it's very bingeable. It's very fun. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. The cliffhangers aren't annoying. You can get through it probably in a weekend, and it is genuinely enjoyable popcorn watching. Yeah, no, yeah, I, also, I agreed. I thought, uh, yeah, the idea of it really sounded like a great like binge watch. Yeah, it's super fun. Dynamic wise, it kind of reminded me of the screen, like the MTV Screen TV show, where it's like, oh, okay, yeah. dramatic but not epic highs and lows of high school football Riverdale dramatic. <laughs> um, and there are genuine like thrills and mystery and tension. Um, also stars Ray Nicholson, Jack Nicholson's son. Right. Totally fucked me up. Cause I was sitting there watching the show. He's objectively the hottest character in the show. No contest. He's also supposed to be a, a, just graduated high school senior and he is very clearly a whole last 30 year old man. <laughs> so it's a little like you got to suspend some disbelief because nobody in this show is younger than like 26. Um, but he's, he looked so familiar to me when I was watching the show and I could not figure it out. Um, so I looked him up on IMDb and that's how I found out he's Jack Nicholson's son. He is, the spitting fucking image of young Jack Nicholson, but also so much hotter than young Jack Nicholson. It's wow. very off-putting seeing pictures of them side by side because you're like, yeah, you were clearly just Jack Nicholson reincarnated, but also subjectively, at least, much more attractive. Mm-hmm. I think because Jack Nicholson was balding by the time he was 30. Right. I feel like that's like the big differentiator here. Um. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Um. Sort of got lost in my own train of thought. Oh. Okay. I actually have something. What I was gonna get into was something else, which we'll get into things. But did you end up seeing Bo Burnham's Inside? I still. I can't. <laughs> I why, want why to. That? I do want to so badly. It is all over my fucking TikTok page. And oh, that is how popularity. I realized I was like, not just popularity. That's how I realized I was on like mentally unstable TikTok. I'm like, I don't think I'm well enough to watch this right now. Like, <sighs> I, I, 
really not prepared to be thrust over the precipice of a another existential fucking crisis. Yeah, that, I have. It'll I do have it. to get work done. Yeah, I have a job. Um. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Bo Burnham's great. I've all I've loved him since I first was introduced to him like four or five years ago. I loved Eighth Grade, which he made. Like, he's just everything he's done is solid. Um, you introduced me to Bo Burnham in the attic of that apartment I lived in. Oh shit! Downtown. Yeah, that's so funny. I like barely even knew it was like Bo Burnham back then. It was just like the first thing I'd seen of him, and I'm like, this guy's cool. Yeah, um, I'd never seen it before, and you're like, yeah. this is really funny. You'd like it. And then we got yelled at for being too loud. Oh, yeah. For laughing too That's so I didn't remember that. That's so nice. And Oh, I love that. I yeah, love well, that little thank attic. Thank you for not remembering a core memory of our friendship. Okay. Well, it's there now. <laughs> um, empty man. <laughs> going to ruin every moment that we have. Um. But yeah, I, I really, it's, it's still him doing music. And really, it's about like an existential crisis during the pandemic. Locked in a room. That's the sh- that's that's just sick. He talks about lots of internet culture things and stuff like that. And it's he's just spot on his critique, his comedic timing, his use of like f- wall breaking and everything. It's all just there and amazing. And it's just, I mean, you get it. You get it. If you want that vibe, do it. It's a very good version of that vibe. You know, if you're not I ready do. for it. You're not ready for it. I do want to watch it. I just think. I was visiting people this weekend. Yeah. I have to oh, work. Oh, no, this was to the, the audience. Not This was not a yeah. read. I just, no, I know. I just, I need, I need to watch it on like a Friday night when I know I don't have anything to do on Saturday and I can just like be a fucking mess the next day <laughs> if, I, if I need to. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. But, okay. So this can get us right to the thing that I did want to think because we both saw it. Are you ready? Mayor of Easttown. You talked about it. What episode were you at? You are at episode like three or something, right? In four. the Four? Yeah. Um, I think a lot happens at the end. So I still think you probably would Great. have a lot to talk about. And I fucking loved it. It was I unreal. Just, Kate Winslet is a fucking treasure. It was. She's. And she, nothing like any of her previous characters. Like it's a true like transformation like this character is just amazing just a fully formed human being it's mm-hmm. it's crazy although i mean i don't know she's done some movies that are like very raw and intense not like gritty thrillers mm. but like raw intense emotional stories with like quite developed characters so i don't know if that's necessarily fair i think you because this is a television show we don't really see her in that format you're getting a lot to spend a lot more time with that character. So it feels like you're really like living in it a lot more than you do with her movies. But I think like, I mean, something like a revolution road. A see, I didn't see road. that one. Yeah. I've been meaning to see that one for a long time. Yeah. It's a very detailed, very three dimensional character and it's very, yeah, I don't doubt emotional. it. I'm not sure how much to say just about the premise and everything like that, because we talked about it um, previous episode, but we'll try to get like a basic one. Mayor of Town is about, a woman named Mare who uh, is... This is like a third grade book I know. synopsis. And she is she is cop. She uh, <laughs> helped people. Uh, but I, I just... Um, I just like thinking of it as like 
it is very much the exact same gritty cop drama mm-hmm. that you've seen a bunch of times. Yeah. But it's a woman in the exact same role you would see like a Brendan Gleeson in Mr. Mercedes or whatever his name is who plays Bosch in Bosch. Sure. It's like Tulliver or something. Just ridiculous name. Yeah. These like neo-noir detective types. Yeah. Or like true detective where yeah. it's, you know, they're like one month away from retirement and they're belligerent alcoholics, but they're the only ones who can solve the crime. It's or or Bill Paxton in the Sinner series. Like it's very much no Pullman, Bill Pullman. I definitely think that's like the way to understand like what you're getting into, like the way it's structured, the plot, the level of the characters and the level of the drama is very much like that. But what I will say is that the storyline that's actually put together and the drama that unfolds is so rich and emotionally deep in a way that I'm not saying is better, but it's different than the often more cerebral, nihilistic, just alcoholism in your life's over well, sort of thing that a lot of these other ones do. I agree because it is a woman in that same role that you would see in these other neo-noir cop dramas but you are still getting like the female gaze out of it. You know what I mean? So you, Mm -hmm. you're focusing more on like the emotional attentiveness of these characters than you are of just like the subjective narrative. Like the, this is the case and we're going to be like real depressed about it all the time and boozy. It's like, she's kind of an alcoholic. She's clearly not dealing with her shit, but like, you know, she still sees and empathizes with all of the emotion around it. And I'm not saying a man can't do that. I'm just saying these are like traditional female roles that you see in television series. And it's interesting to see sort of a cohesive knit between those two things yeah. with Mare because she is this sort of bitter, depressed, yes, pseudo-alcoholic cop that's very much the cliche, very much the trope of these dramas. But she is still a loving mother, a loving grandmother. She is still processing trauma and grief. She does still care about the, her friends around her. She just fucks it all up because she's depressed and boozy and kind of nihilistic. So it, it fights against itself a lot. And I yeah. think that that feels so much more well-rounded. And I think that's kind of what you're getting from it. I think in a way it could only be made after like it is part of that tradition of true detective type shows and neo-noir and yet evolves it and by evoking it and giving it subtle twists in different areas, even in the opening sort of scene where she stops by and she's sort of in a compact suburban area. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if East Town is a full town or if it's like just an area of a city, but it's I think it is a full town. Yeah. So but but it has small town vibes in the sense that everyone knows her. And she is one of the main detectives of the town. So she goes and there's a way in which people push this expectation on her to be motherly, to be caring, to be like, just check on me. Like, just check. And she's like, this type of job is below my pay grade. Like, she like basically says this to people. She's like, I'm not coming over here again. Like, no, like this is not what I do, right? She still does it. And she has this tension between caring and you really see her with her, well, her own kids, her grandkids, she has a lot, there's a lot of, and, and, and other people that she cares, but she also sees herself as 
very unable, very detached that her dream was to become a cop. She she loved her father and dreamed to become like her father. Lots of tensions, which the, these tensions in her character, and I don't want to say too much that spoils something in the future, but that even in her own family dynamics, a lot has happened and she's mm-hmm. dealing with a lot, as, as is typical with these characters. But I think it embodies itself in a different way in her character that I haven't well, quite because, seen. Because I think in... In other shows that are similar to this, really all you're focused on is like the pain or the grief or the struggles of the main character and yes. how like their problems affect their life and how that affects other people around them. Whereas in Mare of Easttown, you're seeing her pain, her grief, her struggles, but you're also seeing how other characters are dealing with their own emotional problems Absolutely. and their own like past traumas and how all of that is culminating to affect each character. So Mare being grief stricken, Mare being in pain affects, you know, her kids, affects her mother, affects her ex-husband. But their own individual pain that they're dealing with, they're coping with, affects them as well. And it's just all compounding against it itself. And they're all fighting against each other. So it feels like all of your your secondary and tertiary characters are quite a lot more like well-rounded. They're more three-dimensional mm-hmm. than you get in like a traditional um, cop drama. Structurally, it's amazing to me that the way the plot plays out and which characters you're suspicious of, how it shows like suspicion of who's done the killing and the kidnappings is super well done, just perfectly done in itself. But then the way it wraps into the exact thing you're talking about, the compounding of emotions and the actual families and the actual friendships and the actual small town, everyone knows everyone else's business feeling is amazing. And the depth of the history of that town and each of the characters that you're meeting is so well done where they each reveal parts of themselves in a very natural way that makes sense to their earlier forms of their character i mean it's it's an extended movie like it's an extended excellent movie Mm -hmm. in that every aspect of it comes together in a way that's so satisfying just on if you're looking for that thriller or cop thing about a storyline with twists that makes sense and everything like that. Like I could not believe the final few episodes. Like it was it feels, amazing. It it almost feels like a novel, you know, like mm-hmm. it plays out very much like a mystery thriller novel. And I think, I think that's what makes it more effective than a lot of other like cop dramas, like neo-noir cop dramas. And I, I mean, that's not to say there aren't great ones. First season of True Detective was a fucking masterpiece. But I just think this is so much more character driven and yes. the tension um, and drama and and anguish between these characters is what fuels the mystery and the thrill. I mean, and just to add icing on the cake, the soundtrack has this amazing orchestral, like these violins and strings. They're sometimes overpowering, but... They give a vibe that I'll always remember. If, if that type of music hits me again in this type of show, like I'll I'll always think of Mare. Like it's just, yeah. it's in there now. And the emotional lives of the characters and how it all culminates by the end of the show is just so richly entwined with the plot. Like it just, 
you get a mystery unfolded, but it's not just cheap shock value to be like, let's just have some crazy thing happen. It's absolutely wound up with the deepest parts of these characters and their choices. And it just, I I have not felt that satisfied in a long time. Like I was just like, and I really watched it, I think like the right way for me, which was like one episode every couple days. Like it yeah. just, it's so it's not rich and dense. A show you really, you could binge it. I think it's going to be too overwhelming and you're not going to get everything out of it if you if you just binge it, you know what I mean? Um, I think it is something that's meant to be sat with a little bit more. Um, watch an episode, sit with it, think on it, and then watch another. Also, just like really tremendous performances throughout. Absolutely. So I feel like if, if you're binging it, you're going to miss the quality of acting and writing. You know, like it's just, it's not going to connect with you. The new detective that comes in, it's one of our- Evan Peters. Yeah, he was he was excellent as well. But honestly, ev- everyone was excellent. I I I point him out only because he's one of the other main characters. But and he's just like so fucking precious in it. Like he's just so gentle to the brashness of Mare's character. It's such. It is very refreshing because she is the grizzled detective, and it's a woman, and he is like the very bright eyed young ingenue kind of like new detective so it's it's literally it's a nice reversal type of yeah it's it's the type of characters you're used to just a gender swap and it's but it works it doesn't feel forced it still feels very natural and it's and he's just so sweet he's so charming and so like lovable yeah i just loved it although i have watched a few other things that i've thought were really excellent recently succession as i said invincible is also excellent i just this one i know will stand the test of time like this one really felt special to me even yeah even compared to other stuff that i think is very very good but won't necessarily you know it's it's another prestige drama it's another thing that's just done well whereas this felt i don't know it felt special and stand out to me yeah that's fair um all i was gonna say is you also get a nice little cameo of guy pierce <laughs> Just Guy Pierce is just in everything. Yeah. It's just weird. Well, it's it, like he was so weirdly underutilized and yet still very charming. So I'm like, I guess. <laughs> yeah. He's he's in it a decent amount. It's not a cameo. Um I mean it's barely above that. Yeah. You you see him like four times yeah. and they're like short periods of time. Yeah. But he, yeah, he's nice. Did you want to talk about Sweet Tooth? Yeah, I'll do a quick rundown on Sweet Tooth. Um, just because if I wait any longer, I'm not going to remember anything about it. But I will. Yeah, I will say I I haven't watched it yet. I don't I don't. So don't necessarily like spoil the end. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't going to. OK, so this is one of the few times you're going to hear me recommend a Netflix original. Oh, my God. You have this weird heart on against Netflix lately. It's like Netflix is fine. Because their originals are like really inconsistent they're like genuinely very inconsistent i also watched a netflix original movie the other day and it was fucking atrocious like there's just like no middle line it's either like passably good or absolute trash and sweet tooth is passably good (laughs) but it's it was very different than what i had anticipated um so if you've watched the trailers for sweet tooth it pretty much gives away the premise right away there is a global pandemic that occurs 
a large portion of the population dies off from what they call the sick. And it very much does just look like a really horrendous flu, which I find Mm -hmm. ironically timed. But at the same time that that happens, anyone who is pregnant and gives birth when the sick comes on, their child, their baby is a hybrid, a human animal hybrid. Mm -hmm. And no one can figure out why. It's a very like chicken and the egg thing. Did the hybrids come first and cause the sick? Did the sick come first and cause babies to mutate? Are they completely unrelated events? Nobody knows. But it creates this class structure and enormous amount of animosity between humans and the new hybrid children because scientists and hunters and bigots and just people in general are convinced that humans are dying because of the hybrids. So they're either trying to hunt them and kill them or they're hunting and capturing them and selling them to like laboratories and hospitals and science and scientists to create vaccines and cures. I did not realize it got that effed up. I thought it was a more like sweet, sweet type of show based on like the font and everything. Yeah. Um, Sweet Tooth is your central character. Um, And he is a dear boy hybrid and so, so precious. But when this global pandemic starts, when the sick happens, his father takes him into Yellowstone National Park, deep, deep, deep into the park. And they hide out there hermit style and just live in the woods. And he builds them a cabin and he raises Sweet Tooth as a baby up to like 10, I think, Mm -hmm. just out in the woods. Um, And this isn't a spoiler. It's like a catalyst for the episode. But something happens and Sweet Tooth no longer has his father to rely on. So it ends up becoming, while you have other character stories, your real central figure and who you're following the majority of the time is Sweet Tooth and his adventures. Because at this point, he's 10 years old and he has never left the property he's grown up on. His father has drilled into him. If he sees a human, he has to hide. Um, The entire outside world is on fire. He cannot leave. He cannot survive out there. Um, And inevitably something happens and he has to leave. So it's his whole journey discovering the world and other people for the first time. And then you have other character storylines that you pan over to at different moments, like a doctor and a few other people, like other families and stuff. And there are like truly very heartwarming, very sweet moments because this 10-year-old dear boy is so precious. But then there's like these fucking crazy dark moments Mm. um, where they're experimenting on these tiny children. And Sweet Tooth is in fear of his life that he'll be discovered and he'll be sold to a lab. And just like this weird juxtaposition of tone where it goes from being this super cute family-friendly thing to, like, holy fuck, they're murdering babies. And I don't I don't know what to do with how <laughs> right. emotionally charged that is because it really throws you. And I, I think that's what makes it good, you know? Yeah. I, think that, I think that genuinely is what makes it so challenging and interesting. They, they seem to be taking inspiration from a, a lot of stuff that's 
in the anime and manga world where there's a meme that's very popular where it's like uh horror anime like question mark and it shows like really spooky scary stuff and they're like nah and then it shows horror anime like yeah and it's just like the cutest little girls and little babies and cute little things and it's like that's always how Japanese horror starts nowadays. Like it's like tries to get you the most innocent things and then just through hostile, basically you're going to go. Yeah. It's, it's just brutal. Yeah. So you don't see that too often in uh, American horror. So this is a new kind of move. I, I will say it doesn't go far enough that I would necessarily classify it as horror. Um, it's, it's not super gory. Not that gore is necessary for it to be horror, but it's while it does get dark, it's still it's still never going to be darker than like a PG-13. Mm. So, I mean, there are definitely horror elements in there. It's it's not going to gross you out. You know, it's it's not going to like emotionally scar you, but it is hard to get like an emotional baseline on it because you have these like super sweet, super heartwarming moments and then you'll have some drama intermixed and that's to be expected. But then all of a sudden you're like, okay, so we're going to just cut up parts of like half lizard kids. What the fuck? <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's just, there's no way to like emotionally prepare for that immediate switch mm. or like, Hey, um, we're going to burn these people alive. And now we're going to go back to adorable dear boy prancing through a meadow. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. I don't know how to like emotionally regulate myself during something like that. Um, but it does make it effective and it makes those dramatic moments so much more poignant because you don't right. actually know how far that drama is going to go. You don't know what's going to happen to this character if it's just going to like level out and it's going to be like, oh, it's a 10 year old boy having like a dramatic fit. Or if it's going to be like, hey, um, we're just going to watch a child get murdered. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's upsetting. <laughs> Yeah, what what you're talking about just reminded me of I don't have much to say about this one, but I finished it is uh Prime's <laughs> Solos uh sci-fi short short series. Oh, I was gonna watch it. Is it not worth it? No. Oh, it's not. Fuck. Bummer. But one that reminded me of what you're talking about was one about like a sort of pandemic. So a woman is in her stay home, it's called, and she's been there for 20 years. Oh, so she's in Ontario. <laughs> yeah. Her AI is like, okay, like you can you can come out of your stay home now. And she's like, you think I'd go out there? And she like brings up some news feed and videos. She's like, there's a pandemic out there. There is raging, you know, uh, riots and there's blah, blah. I'm never going out there again. You told me like all this bad stuff's happening. And that's why we were locked into our houses for years. Right. And that's why I'm staying here. And they're like, it's been like 20 years. Like it's yeah, over. It's chilled it's out. Over. You're yeah. good. But she's like, I'll never believe you. Like this is a government conspiracy. And she explains about how they would trick people into um, she found on the news that they trick people into going out of their stay homes and then they could lock them out once they were out. Right. And so she's like, you're just trying to trick me and get me out of it and whatnot and all this stuff. So she just was in this total panic. And I thought it was an interesting kind of premise in the ways in which how people's minds have changed on. So like you, we could not have predicted how people's minds would feel about the different measures about the pandemic, whether mm -hmm. people are like, absolutely, we need the longest lockdowns ever. Never a lockdown again. I never want to hear about a lockdown again. Masks, always, always, always masks. I never. Just, it's a government conspiracy. You know, just, I they're all over the place. I understand how poignant this pandemic is in like our cultural zeitgeist or whatever. Yeah. So I like get why there's so much 
fucking pandemic content happening. I just need it to stop. <laughs> I can't. It's been over it's a begun. year that we've been living in it. I give me give me five years. <laughs> you should not allow. You should not ever be allowed to make content about a serious like global <laughs> event as the event is still fucking occurring. It's like making a movie about the Holocaust while people are still dying in it. It's fucking weird. Um, it just it just feels uncool. But yeah, so I actually liked that episode. I thought that episode was pretty good and a couple others are good, but I think the honest truth is it's big name actors doing monologues and it just feels like high school. It feels like they were assigned mm. these for high school and the the ways in which they're each like why they're talking a giant monologue to a screen has to be like contrived every time. And so yeah. it just feels like, uh, so I don't know how much it's just that feeling of feeling disconnected from the stories or whether how good the stories are. Because in the end, I do think the acting's good and the stories are vaguely interesting, but it just did not connect with me. I never looked forward to the next episode. They have no connection between them. It's just seven independent episodes. I so didn't I don't know. realize they were just like monologues. Yeah. I, I should have because it's called solos. But I didn't realize it was literally just like them staring at a screen, like fucking monologuing at you. I was at least hoping for like some dynamic shit happening around them or like flashback moments or something yeah. to like make it a little more full, I guess. Often there is a second character in each because like, do, but it's a different contrivance each time. Like in the stay at home, it's the house AI who is played by the guest Dan Stevens. So that's that's a cute little. Is it Dan Stevens? Is that his name? Oh, the guest. Jesus. Yeah. I didn't realize you meant the movie. Yeah. For some, even though we just recorded that. Uh, he's so hot, though. Yeah, well, he's a he's a house in this, so that doesn't play a huge factor. But Does his voice sound hot? I mean, it sounds like an AI. Yeah. But, yeah. But he sounds fun. He, he gives that, 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 that monotone he gives in the guest. That, like, charming monotone. It's a very good, like, AI voice. Yeah. That's still a little hot then. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a disappointment overall. Sorry. It's a bummer. It's funny. I haven't been watching any like comforts. I've been looking for something to just like have a long oh. chill period with, but. May I recommend to you the pseudo Christian television show Manifest. What? Just popped up on oh, Netflix. Oh yeah. Are you joking or what are you talking about? Um, I'm not joking. I watched the whole thing. Oh, God. <laughs> it's only two seasons. It is very bingeable, though. Like, it's a good background show, but it's very, like, super white Christian themes <laughs> throughout it. And it's 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 like The Returned. Do you remember The Returned? Mm hmm Yeah, it's basically that. So Plane Disappears shows back up five and a half years later, everybody's still on it, and they're the same age they were when they took off five and a half mm. years previously, and nobody understands why. Half the people think that they're, like, like replicants or imposters or right. aliens, and they have, like, special powers, and they're going to ruin humanity. The other half of the people think they're, like, miracles from God. And then these people who got off the plane end up having what they call callings. So like visions oh. or they hear voices mm. or something that tell them or direct them to go somewhere, or do something. And oftentimes it's to like thwart 
something bad happening. Oh, wow. Save a person or stop an event or whatever. Um, and if they don't follow the calling, there is a personal consequence. Um, if they fail the calling, there's a personal consequence. Sometimes okay. they have to work with other people off the plane to succeed in completing their calling. But it always comes back to that like miracle thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. like, well, I see the Christian vibes. We're hearing the voice of God kind of shit. Yeah. So it gets, it gets like hard undertones of Christianity, which definitely makes it tough. Um, I can understand why NBC canceled it, but it's very watchable. It's mm. super bingeable. Two things. Weirdly, I'm reminded of, do you remember this old TV show called Brimstone? For some reason, I'm, rem I'm remembering this. If you haven't heard of it, I would check it out if you can find it on something. But it's it basically a guy who sold a soul to the devil and um, is now a reaper of souls. And basically, he, oh he makes deals. Is this the tattoo guy? I'm not sure. When he collects somebody, does a tattoo come off his body? Probably. I don't remember that part, but that could be it. But there there's like hell portals. Been a show. I remember the hell portals when when someone fails. How old is this show? To early 2000s, late 1990s. I think it's this show. There is yeah. a show that the only memory I have on it is this guy, and I couldn't remember if he had to collect souls from hell or if they were like yeah. demons that escaped hell that he had to collect, but he had tattoos on his body. And the tattoo would indicate who he had to go get. And yeah, he, he got, effectively I think he had collected like a them. Cell phone call actually that said he has twenty four hours to save. This is it. He had to save people's souls. He had twenty four hours to get them forgiven oh, in the eyes of God. Okay. This might be a different show then. Oh, okay, but th this so in this one, it's he has twenty four hours to. The devil thought he's like. I don't think you can do this, but if you can save any souls, like go for it. So these people have deals with the devil. They've always traded. Like they're like, I'm super famous for ten years, but then you go to hell. And it's so traumatizing when they actually go to hell because it's like a hell port opens up and like tentacles and chains and whips just pulled them out. It was terrifying. Okay. Yeah. See, this sounds like this show. I need to look up Brimstone and see if it's the same show because if yeah. it's not, somebody somebody out there in the world yeah. must know what fucking show it is where a guy has to collect souls or demons or something for the devil and a tattoo disappears I mean, it sounds so similar. It's it. gotta be, yeah. If it's not Brimstone, somebody, please... For the love of God, one of our 15 listeners, just fucking message me. I don't care, please. I hadn't remembered that show for a long time, so that was cool. But the thing I did want to say was just a quick thing. I love the French version of The Returned. It's so excellent. Mm. Oh, it's so much better. Yeah, the, even though the English one is a shot-for-shot shot remake, it just isn't the right vibe. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, but honestly, the Fr French The Returned watch it. It is an excellent show. Very Leftovers vibe as well. So good. I'm literally looking at Brimstone right now. Yeah, we gotta we gotta move on to this movie. Ah, it is the show! Oh, it's Brimstone. Sorry. Yeah, nice. we gotta move on. To, I didn't know sorry. if I got the and title just, right. I, I, I thought for sure I was gonna like... A dead cop sentenced to hell is returned to Earth by the devil to recover 113 escaped evil spirits. Yes. Oh my god. I'm you have no idea the joy I feel because I've been trying to remember this fucking movie on and off for probably five years now. Well, Google users, 97% of people like that show. Nice. I know it's pretty popular. It's got mad Constantine vibes and a little bit of spawn. I feel like there is this show. There's a there's a, a made-up show inside of a show before where it looked like Buffy and a cross between another occult show. And now that I'm seeing Brimstone, I'm like, this is the other show that they crossed it with to like make a fake <laughs> show out of. Called like 
supernatural or something, you know, something. Well, I mean, it wasn't supernatural, but like called occult or something. Wait, was it the show that was in Horse Girl that starred? Yes, I think yes. Gabler? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, Whoa, this is a what pop a journey. culture overload. Yeah. Whew, okay, we gotta concentrate the universal energies. Yeah, we, we gotta. Can you please stop? We have to focus. Focus up. We have to channel the nothingness. Find the Pontifex. The empty man. No, what was it? The the no the noosphere. New, new, yeah, the noosphere. It's the noosphere. Okay. It's Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs> the biosphere. We watched The Empty Man on Prime. Yes. We rented and, it. We paid for it. Yeah, we we heard about this movie from a bunch of horror movie aficionados, people who love this type of community. Yeah. It was Big. It was horror like a lot of people. It was their favorite horror thriller, whatever you want to call it. Absolutely uh, wild to me. Absolutely wild. I mean, I get it, but I kind of yeah. don't at the same time. I, the first half of the movie had me for sure. I actually thought the vibe, 100%. the feeling was great. I don't want to say it like, I, okay, I guess the basic thing is it didn't stick the landing, but I understand it's trying to be ambiguous and there's some metaphor but, that I'm not no. getting. No, but it didn't. Yeah, it's not that it didn't stick the landing. It didn't stick the entire third act of that movie. Yeah. And like a chunk of the second act, <laughs> you got like halfway through the movie. You're like, yes, I'm vibing. I'm there with you. The energy is great. And then you're like, what are we doing, guys? Yeah. I, what are we doing? It's funny. I, cause I don't I can't say that I saw like mistakes it just felt like the first act just continued until the movie ended and you're like oh i guess or the second act like it kind of like because there's climactic stuff but it was like it didn't make sense or like i don't know but anyways let's not get too deep i also too i mean yeah i had a hard time when they showed like the close-up of the empty man thing i was like this doesn't look as good as the far away shots mm. <laughs> looked like this is taking this looks like a dude on stilts with like some drapery yes, over I, him. Yeah, it, got, it was very CG. There's like CGI aspects that that always ruins it, especially when it was didn't feel that way up until that point. Yeah. So Empty Man, basically, I'm not even sure how to begin the premise of this movie. OK, do you want me to just I'm going to read the synopsis. Yeah. We need to do that more often. No, Um. got to be innovative on the. On the trail of, we're never innovative. We we espouse bullshit and hope that the point gets across. On the trail of a missing girl, an ex-cop comes across a secretive group attempting to summon a terrifying supernatural entity. That's the synopsis. That happens at a certain point in the movie, yes. <laughs> that's the majority of the movie. No, I know, but it's like, that's not how the movie starts. And like, you learn a lot no, before that point. But, but like... How the movie starts is way before the actual plot of the movie. It's like years yeah. before. Well, there's that. But then there's also the whole teenager's plot that like begins too before he even finds out about the cult. That's but the yeah. missing girl. He's yeah. on the trail of the missing girl. That's true. That's true. That is the middle. That is the real plot of the movie. But right away at the beginning, you follow some hikers into in Bhutan. Yes. And they, I mean, it's such a cool scene where one of them disappears like over a ridge and they don't know when they see that as a hole into a crevice yeah so you, so what uh they throw rope down and another guy 
walks down, goes down the crevice. And in that crevice, the guy is sort of just sitting down. And in front of him is this entity, this like dead, like skeleton, wet skeleton sort of thing with extra limbs and almost like wings and extra fingers. It's hard to explain, but it, it, it evokes something in you. It's a terrifying image. The guy himself, there's something going on with him. He's like in a trance. There's some whispering and he says it's particularly, don't touch me or you'll die. And that sort of leads to a series of events for that, which then leads into a cut into the modern day where we have this, uh, how would you call it? Like a no, folk story, a ghost tale or no, what is it called? Like an urban legend. An urban legend, exactly. About the empty man, this entity you can call by blowing on a glass bottle near the wind. Not the wind. Oh, my God. <laughs> near the bridge. On a bridge. On a bridge. If you're on a bridge and you find an empty bottle, if you blow into it while thinking of the empty man, he will come yeah. to you. And that relates to, I won't get to the exact details, but it relates to the early scene too and, and it's all mm -hmm. connected. But that urban legend leads to a missing girl and the missing girl uh, is who the ex-cop follows and you go on this journey towards this cult and this, what this entity is, the empty man, which honestly does have Slender Man vibes. But it is better yeah. than that. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, it's better than the Slender Man movie, which came about a decade too late for the actual <laughs> like popularity of that meme. I don't know. There, there are elements to Empty Man that I that I like, but I feel like a lot of the elements of this movie that I really enjoyed, I enjoyed because they were reminiscent of so many more popular or better done movies like mm. elements of the Blair Witch, elements of It Follows and The Ring and like pieces of The Descent and yep. cinematography styles from The Lodge and Goodnight Mommy. Like it just, it felt like an amalgamation of your favorite tropes and better cinematic styles that were done to greater effect in better movies. I agree with you in the amalgamation and, and the inspiration from those things. I did find the overall feeling and until the fact that it does just doesn't add up to enough by the end. That's my only big problem. But throughout it, I was following it. I actually really enjoyed when he was finding out piece of the mystery and how those were coming together. I actually thought like there's a variety of different things happening, what he found, what he thinks, and the places. I actually really loved the almost liminal spaces feeling where he would go to a like the cult place and it looks like the most cult building. Like if anyone has ever been to a cult building, like it looks like an amalgamation of a bunch of those different spaces. Even the sort of forest or the camp that he goes to later feels like an amalgamation of every summer camp imaginable in a way. But that's what I mean. None of it felt original. It felt like every right. step was an homage to a more popular movie. You go to mm. that camp and you're getting this mix of Midsummer meets Friday the 13th. Yeah. And it's like, that's really cool. And it's done really well. But it none of it feels strictly original, even the plot. And the only portion that did feel like they were trying to do something really different was that end piece. And it didn't work. I see I almost feel like if we go into like if we compare to something like Cabin in the Woods which is like you know massively homage driven 
Having the woods, you're self-aware immediately that that's what it's doing. And so you get excited for the hot takes. Yeah, and it's intentionally subverting the yeah. same tropes used in those popular films. It's a fourth wall breaking black comedy. Yeah. But this isn't doing that. This is taking itself quite seriously and trying yes. to be a legitimate horror film. But the only elements of it that that really spark originality are the elements that don't function well within the rest of the story. If they had done this purely as homage, we're going to elevate these tropes that you love and do them better and make true horror out of them. I would have been all here for it, but they didn't stick that third act and it fell apart. Like if you're going to inject elements of originality and true, like first time storytelling of something, you have to make sure you stick it if the rest of your movie is such an intense homage. You know what mm. I mean? I agree with you on all these points in that it, it really hurt it that it didn't have that third act. But that didn't, like when I was watching the earlier parts, I didn't mind. And I actually, I felt like there's trying to make connections. Like this is the thing I talked about with Tenet too, that like, I feel like if Nolan had just been said more self-awarely awarely that he was making fun of or doing something weird with spy thrills, I could have enjoyed the movie a lot more. And here too, I feel like there is moments where there seems to be some self-awareness of this, where for example, he's talking to the cult leader and they, the cult leader says something like, you know, repetition makes things into words into nonsense, like that game where you say your name a million times and it, you can't even understand it anymore. And there's a way in which a lot of the places and things he was doing felt a little bit, again, that liminal space feeling. They, everything he was doing felt liminal to the whole history of horror thrillers and all these, every VHS videotape he would look at and it gives this thing that you you don't know exactly where you've seen it from but it's like that thing like has been done in the ring that thing has been done as a feeling where you see a videotape in the background and it has some hidden message or something like that the cult place has a feeling the the lodge has not the lodge the cabins have a feeling and even the cult aspects and how they move and the creatures not not creatures but the people all harken back to other things but there's a way in which Putting it together in the movie this way, it was working for me. I just wish I understood what the heck it all was supposed to mean by the end because they no, really leave you with I, a confusing ending. It's the same thing I was saying with the Nolan thing. I agree with you. If he was self-aware, I would have enjoyed this film. If he was intentionally trying to subvert these spy movie tropes and was trying to do something elevated and um, almost like almost humorous about it, I probably would have loved it, but he didn't do that. So you can say if he did this, if they did that, if, 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 but it doesn't matter because they didn't do it. So yes, there is value here, but they failed at the integral part that would have made it something elevated, that would have made it something to last the test of time. Also, I feel like if you need like a 15 minute monologue, to explain your movie in the movie itself, mm. you did not do a good job of like leading up to this ending. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if, if you have to monologue about it, it, you didn't explain it properly. It's like when you have to explain why a joke is funny. It's just not funny if you need to do that. Yeah. And I agree with you. There are definitely moments that are spooky. And I think there are moments that you can take out of this and say, hey, this was done really well. I would love to see this done again in another movie that can wrap it in a little bit tighter and make it flow a little bit better. But on the whole, 
because there is no real conclusion, because it doesn't tie in, it really suffers for me. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I can agree the first hour and 15 was awesome. But when the back half of the entire movie is like borderline incoherent, it sours the experience for me a little bit. Yeah. I do wonder too, it's like the empty man himself is spooky. And especially at the beginning, as is like, like a lot of spooky moments, there's something about the connection when the empty man would actually like get close to people that I just felt there's another thing with the font. We talked about this too during the movie. There's oh my God. Font things. I'm still there's mad moments about it. that I just felt like didn't quite connect. And these are small things. It's hard to explain like whether they really matter or not. But it's just like when your main entity doesn't quite work sometimes uh, or does, doesn't quite fulfill its purpose or, or even these title cards that would come up like they just they added a different vibe to the show sometimes or they'd have yeah, this noise and that. this feeling and I'm just like Ugh, it just jolted me each time and I'm like is this supposed to be like a documentary style or like what are you doing like I don't I don't know it's also like an incoherence to the rules around this empty man entity mm-hmm. where I'm like I don't understand if it's expressly trying to kill people or if that's just like a thing that happens sometimes because like there's a whole cult around it invoking it and they're alive so I don't like I just I don't really get what this what this is supposed to be is it supposed to be an eldritch horror and it's like a god and they're praying to it and that's why it doesn't kill them like I don't it, it seems very choosy about who lives and dies. Yeah. And that doesn't really work in this type of movie when you're trying to evoke a ring, a Blair Witch, and it follows. And those have like pretty strict rules on how their entity operates. Yeah. When you add in that cult element, and I get why that works, it totally does when you have some kind of like a demony horror figure. But you really need to wrap around why that functions and why this thing isn't just indiscriminately killing everyone. And they didn't they didn't do that. I think if I have to give an interpretation of what the whole thing's doing, and actually, you know, another thing that surprised me is when I was looking at the like the the thumbnail and we were going to like get the movie at the first place, I was surprised that it looked like the Slender Man like style. Oh yeah, they definitely marketed it to be like a new Slender Man. Yeah. And so because of the type of prestige thing it is, I just, I there's something deliberate and weird there that's going on. I think this adds to this take that I'm about to say. It's like, I think overall, again, like they, you talk to the cult, you talk to what they're speaking about with this, um, the manifestation of an entity by the thoughts of tons of people repeating the same thing. And a tulpa. Channeling things. Yeah. I think that they were taking all the tropes of horror. And even at the beginning, there's a kind of cabin fever going on and even more tropes that we haven't talked about. All of those aspects, they're sort of done in random sort of pieces and things. Even even the sequence of the main character having past trauma that ends up being like, uh, are they uh, imagining everything or are is it real? And that becomes a storyline too. Like it's taking such an amount of different pieces from different horror movies and, and ideas that I, I've got to believe that they were trying to say something with the emptiness and repetition and the folklore and everything and deconstruct the whole genre. And of course, I said this in the high school that the stupid high schoolers go to is called oh my God, I know. Jack Dare to high school, who's famous for his theory of deconstruction. And this idea of taking taking a genre, taking a piece, and 
unraveling it and showing all the pieces and what's being done here. But one of the funny things about deconstruct is it's not often satisfying. You more just notice how everything works and then you feel sad about its reconstruction because you're like, it's not doesn't feel original think, or interesting anymore. It's it's all analyzed. But I think that's the problem here. Mm-hmm. They did some deconstruction of horror, but really what ended up happening instead of reconstructing it by the end, they just kind of stitched together a bunch of like incoherent tropes that don't function in the same style of horror movie well. Yeah. You know, so you have the cult thing, you have elements of slasher stuff, you have elements of like possession horror and you've got elements of found footage horror and you've got all these pieces, but none of these horror tropes fit together well. Like they're not meant to exist in one movie and they didn't create any structure of rules around their tulpa thing. If the tulpa is one of the characters, if the tulpa is the entity, if it's both if this empty man thing is just a thought form or if it is a thing that already exists because there was nobody believing in it in Bhutan. There, nobody was believing in it. It was right. just like an effigy that he sat in front of and suddenly was possessed. So I don't understand how the Tulpa thing fits in if that's what we're saying. If we're saying it's a thought form and it's bringing in all the elements of horror for every aspect, that has to include the empty man. But that doesn't really fit in the narrative structure of the like Mm. prologue for the movie. So I just I'm not saying a movie has to strictly follow a set of rules or that a horror movie should strictly follow a set of rules. But I feel like they brought in these elements that require a rule structure to them and they didn't effectively put that in place. And it loses its coherence when you do that. Right. When you have this like supernatural entity In the beginning, it just kills everyone indiscriminately. But by the end, you have a cult that's somehow saved and we don't know why. And like, oh, we're going to do this thought form thing and that's how we're going to deconstruct horror. But we're not going to tell you what is a thought form here or how it fits back together. And we're not going to give you any kind of cohesive reconstruction of it. So you can actually sit there and criticize the genre and be like, hey, this is what it looks like deconstructed. This is what it looks like reconstructed. And here's, you know, the critical analysis of it. You don't get any of that. Mm. So there's no satisfaction from this. You know, with something like Cabin in the Woods, it's subverting these tropes specifically for like a comedic effect, like a very dark nihilistic comedy. And it clearly explains to you what it's doing. It, It gives you a point from which you can critically analyze something. And this, because it falls off in that back half of the movie, because it doesn't give you a satisfying conclusion or a coherent conclusion, you don't get that. So now it feels like what was the point in deconstructing all of this if there is no reconstruction and there, and you're clearly not following any of the rules that you would set out in the beginning? I wonder, though, it's like, because the more I think about it, the more I am sort of picking up more of the pieces. And it's like, maybe it's just a movie that does take some time to really digest but like this whole idea okay spoilers because this is going to be sort of parts about the ending but this idea that the main character might have been constructed himself and the questions about his own identity that comes there there's a way in connection to existential horror that it's not only that there's this manifestation of this being that can stalk you and whatnot but also that any of us is also constructed in such a way that 
the more you think about it, the more everything in the movie becomes this impossibility of like, is it constructed or is it made up or is it real in the context of the movie? And that's in part what leads to the incoherence to the end is that you have no idea who's real, what's real, who's part of the cult, who's not part of the cult. Like it becomes so everywhere and everything at all times. And even some of the places, I'm not sure if this is the cult area, but he was driving down a road and just seeing some of the buildings. And, you know, it's funny, this is, in particular, living in um, Ontario. But we also even had, like, weird experience of, like, the genericness of buildings and, like, we thought it must be in Ontario, but it's actually filmed somewhere else and all this stuff. Like, I think there was a way in which they're intentionally making the buildings, stuff like that, in this generic way. Like, everything could be from anyone's town, anyone's feeling there I don't know there's this general sense in which so many of the elements of the show felt too universal like too could be anywhere could be anything yeah and the am I real am I dead am I alive thing yeah it's very hearkening back to sixth sense right Mm. like it's it's the same kind of idea as like oh you find out in the end he's a ghost the only thing is you find out cohesively in the end that he's a fucking ghost yeah it's not you don't find that out here here, it's like, oh, we we created you. We made you and gave you your backstory. But you also have, like, pictures of him in the cult room. So, like, I is he real? Is, is he just a thought form that exists in their head? Is he a thought form that exists in the real world and they created a whole ass flesh and bone person mm-hmm. from their imagination? And if that's the case, how does anything around him look fucked up? Because yeah. he'd just be existing in the real world. Where does he exist? I don't get it. Is the empty man real or is he a tulpa? They're not explaining any of these points in like a way that makes it fit within the reality that they created in the first half of the film. That's what's fucking aggravating, right? If you create this world in like 60, 70 minutes and then you just like throw all of that fucking exposition out the window in the last 45, that's fucking irritating because I just spent... 70 minutes of my life understanding what you're trying to do and really thinking about it so that I could mm-hmm. get invested. And then none of it fucking matters in the end. I know, I know what you're saying, but I, I was honestly figuring this out as you were saying it, but I think that the, even the files and the things like what the files empty at first when he first discovers it. And then he finds a file of himself full. And when he's sort of discovering that he himself is being manifested, I think Again, this is a trope that has to do with deconstruction and and breaking the fourth wall and these things that by the end of the movie, the movie, again, hear me out, the movie itself is admitting its own construction process of the movie itself. That's the file of making the character that was introduced. And where was he born? They say this in the movie. Where was he born? At his first scene in the movie. He was born at that restaurant. How was that manifest? By people watching it, by people seeing it, repeating it, and all this stuff. And I think, in a way, it's not the cult, but actually the viewers and the creators of the movie itself that they're hearkening back to. And I swear to God, I had no idea about this interpretation until <laughs> literally this moment. But I, I get think where this you're is coming where the from. movie is going to. I get where you're coming from. It just... Yeah. It didn't I don't hit. know. I feel like it, a it didn't hit, and I feel like you have this whole prologue in the beginning, mm-hmm. and if that's the case, then that prologue was completely fucking superfluous, and it was just like here's a spooky scene for you to give you the empty man immediately, and now we're gonna go through this like 
fucking cerebral, atmospheric, mm-hmm. mental breakdown of this like fake person that we're creating. And like you, the viewer, created him. And like it's basically a video game and life is a simulation. <laughs> Fuck off. Just do that from the beginning then and then give us a satisfying conclusion where he like loses his mind from his own unreality. Because even that, even that moment at the end that is supposed to be him falling apart when he realizes his reality is a fallacy is unsatisfying. Mm. It's so boring. It's like the dullest existential crisis I've ever seen on film. You had an option to go with something more impactful and they specifically chose not to do that and like i get a slow burn i'm fine with a slow burn but nothing about the pacing of this movie indicated that it would go in a Mm -hmm. complete left turn weirdly slow like hyper cerebral horseshit i mean i guess i i mean i pretty much knew it was going to go that direction when you're like the articles and stuff advertising and people being like, this is the, you know, deconstructing the genre. It's the horror movie of the year. I was like, okay, there's going to be something wackadoodle by the end. Fine with wacky shit. And I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine with like cerebral deconstruction shit. It just, it felt like they were trying to appeal to the masses that love like Mm. super over the top, like teen supernatural horrors but also do this like hyper intellectual pretentious we're going to deconstruct and make fun of you for liking it bullshit and that just feels like borderline unearned with like the quality that you get by the end i really don't understand the title card or like that type of advertising like why they went for the slenderman vibe that doesn't make sense to me the opening scene makes sense to me in the sense of like it gets you into the right like it's the descent you know it's a very serious prestige horror get sure fine that prologue scene but then when you get into the bulk of your first like 45 minutes in this movie it feels very much like a teen horror mm. movie. it feels like slender man everything that's happening feels like slender man and then it goes back into this like pseudo sci-fi like atmospheric horror shit and i'm like the, the, it's tonally weird mm. and inconsistent there was just there was nothing about it that was 100 percent consistent to me I think this is why it's it's you know gotten the the very controversial ratings it has because I think there's ways in which you can pull out stuff that's interesting and there's ways in which trying to just follow it even as a serious viewer like from start to finish and just enjoy the experience or like collect together the experience seems to be an exercise in futility. Yeah, like and, and obviously viewers who are coming at it with nothing are probably just furious. Like they're just like what is this I mean- non-entertaining? Granted, first of all, I came at it with nothing. I didn't actually read any articles on it. So that might be part of the reason why I'm No, but you, no, I mean, you have a history of horror, of understanding horror and and analyzing movies and whatnot. And like, don't get me, I am being hypercritical of of this movie. And that is the point of what this podcast is. There are reasons to watch it and reasons why it is interesting and entertaining. There's some pretty solid acting in it. It's got some cool atmosphere moments. I just think there are movies that do similar things better. Mm. You know, there are other horror movies you could watch that I think you're probably going to get more out of that are doing similar things with subverting tropes and deconstructing horror models. And like, I just I think there are other options that are a little bit more cohesive that fit together a little better. And like, I'm not even saying a movie has to be wholly coherent 
or it has to be perfect or it has to have like a really satisfying ending. It doesn't. There are tons of movies I love that don't have all of those elements. I just think this didn't have like really any of them to make you understand what they're trying to do, that they're trying to say that these rules don't matter. They only matter if you think they matter. And I get it. I get what they're trying to say. I just don't think they drove that point home effectively enough to make it impactful. Yeah. I mean, I definitely see the point of view you're coming from. And I knew it would take me a while to figure things out because I was left so confused by the end. But like the more even just in this during this podcast, the more I think about it, the more I actually enjoy the types of things that I'm surprised looking back at, like what I was trying to do. I actually find like there's certain things about it that bother me just in a more basic sense in that I didn't really like the main actor. Like I just found him hard to like on screen. Okay, he's a Sam Worthington type, you know, like if you've seen it, he's almost he, he looks almost identical to Sam Worthington. Yeah. And I mean, most of the characters to me, and this is sort of on purpose, but it's like most of the characters to me don't feel three dimensional. And I know that's sort of intentional, but like, it, it's just a, you know, it's a thing where you, you have to, for me, what I enjoyed about the movie, if you're going to get something strong in the movie is the sort of cinematography, the, the weirdness of the homages to the genre. And actually I do think some of the special, not special effects, but like the practical effects at the beginning, like I do think the creature at the beginning looks really cool and how they use the bugs and like how people act is that, like that never really wrapped around in anything. No, it's just spooky. Yeah. I do. Oh, think the bridge I scene too. Oof. Love that. Yeah. The bridge scene was cool. I do think I would have been able to give it more of a pass if you had at least a, like, at least the main character was like very three dimensional. Mm. I think I would have been able to give it a bigger pass because it's like, Oh, you find out he's not even real and you're like so invested in this character. I think that would have been interesting. That would have been something. But everyone was so flat that you're not really like rooting for anybody. You know, like there's nobody that you can get behind. And you're like, I really want him to solve this case or I really want this girl to be found or whatever. Because mm. I just didn't give a shit about anybody. They didn't really want you to. And like, even though the acting is solid, the dialogue is weirdly stilted, which is kind of a conflicting feeling. Mm. That didn't elevate it in a way that I was able to give it a pass for its like own lack of impact on the message it's trying to send. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is another one like the guest with a <laughs> bit of a difference of opinion uh, and, and feelings for movies. But um, I, I still think it's an interesting watch. Like, I, I still think it's worth watching if you're interested in horror and you do want to see this kind of deconstruction you do want to be able to point out different tropes and like homages to different movies i think it's interesting to watch i just think like unless you really feel like being hyper analytical the entire time that's the thing yeah aggravated with the ending at least initially it's not going to give you the satisfaction that a lot of people are going to horror movies to get right like even though it has horror moments that's the thing because so much of it isn't for that purpose you're not going to feel like ah, I got my horror movie for the night. It felt like somebody took someone's like film school, <laughs> like third year thesis and turned it right. into a movie. That's what it felt like. It didn't feel like this yeah. was for entertainment or right. enjoyment. It felt like this is me trying to be super critical of this genre and like, haha, look how smart I am. And even that didn't work. <laughs> like it, it didn't yeah. even feel that elevated for what it was trying to do. In feeling, it actually reminds me of I had a similar feeling with I Am the Pretty Thing, 
that something in the dark. I forget, the title's so long. Mm, I'm the pretty thing that like lives under the stairs or something. Yeah. Or lives in this house. Lives or, in this house. I, yeah. I don't know. But it, it, it similarly ended with like a very surreal kind of vibe and was mostly just an atmospheric horror with some really cool opening elements that were very spooky. And there's even some background in the second half of the second act where you're like, oh, in the climax, you learn about all sorts of background. But then it's just like, I don't know. Like it just goes in different directions. You're like, I don't know. And I was just left, yeah, just feeling weird about it. So weird choice. But if you liked Empty Man or if you liked The Pretty Thing, uh, that was in the dark probably goes well together. Mm. I don't know. I just, I think there are better options for something that's like subverting tropes. Like you could do a cabin in the woods, even, even like teeth or it follows or the devil all the time. Like there, there are options here. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's it from us. I think on the empty man and all the other stuff we talked about today. If you want to follow us, you can find us on Twitter at FanLabPod and on a bunch of other social media. Just look us up. Yes. Please, someone interact with me on Twitter. Please talk to me. <laughs> just want to know if somebody is consistently listening to this fucking podcast. Oh. Just one person. Yeah. So we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.